I'm Pastor Joel. If uh, Joel Hunter, if you've not uh, had the uh, opportunity to meet me yet, I'm I'm just one of the pastors here, and just glad to be here. You know, when Pastor Justin asked me to preach a sermon on humility, there was something in, you know, there's something odd about lecturing on humility, like being an authority on humility. Uh, I'm not authority. I'm 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 a a learner like you are. So I'm not going to say anything profound today. Uh, let's just deal in the practice and the practicalities of humility. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just saying this is something we can do together. The first service was actually humiliating because, you know, I'm used to having a, a service that's kind of a, a, you know, a trial service, you know, a, and, and a roadkill service. Uh, so... <laughs> So before I get to Sunday morning and, and, and 9 o'clock suffered, um, I couldn't get my, I brought on an iPad, and I, technology and I don't go well. We just don't. And, and so I couldn't get my iPad to work. And so it was embarrassing enough. And then it started talking to me through the microphone. We need the Internet, it says. I go, ah. So listen, I just hope this goes better. If it doesn't, it's all about humility. So it doesn't matter, you know, there's no more fitting sermon. I, I want to talk to us because I don't think people have a really firm grasp on humility. You know, a lot of people say, well, I ought to be more humble because it'll make me more likable and it will, you know, get me further advanced in my spiritual life. Let me tell you something about humility. Humility is not about getting you somewhere else. All right. Uh, I, I was listening to a comedian the other day, and she, she was a big woman, plus size, plus, plus size. And, and, and she, she talked about going to a gym. She said, so I went to the gym, and I'm just walking on the treadmill. And this young, pert, you know, fit gal comes up to me, and she wants to encourage me. And she, she says, you keep walking. You'll get there, you know. And this woman says to her audience, I'm not sure she knows how a treadmill works. <laughs> Humility is not to get someplace else. Humility is to get fit where you are, is to become a better version of you where you are. And so let's not talk about what you're going to accomplish in the world. Let's talk about what realistic place we hold in the world among 7 billion other people. Um, it's... it's First of all, humility is not belittling yourself or, or making it so your life doesn't really count. One of the best definitions of humility I've ever heard was by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You get that? It's not thinking less of yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. Every time people are beating themselves up, they're just doing the devil's work. Devil is our accuser, and so many of us just take over for him, and he gets to rest, and we accuse ourselves. That's not humility. Humility is focusing on your proper place with others. First, with Christ, understanding humility. We've got to understand this. Our life is not about us. Our life is about Christ in us. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So let's stop talking about our life, and let's talk about his life in us. 
because that's really what needs to shine through. That's that's how we. That's what why we're still here. Um, it, it also says in Philippians chapter two verse five, it says, "Let this mind be in you." which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to think like Jesus. We need to act like Jesus. You know, there weren't a whole lot of people in the world probably that noticed those who were being left out like Jesus did, that had his mind on others, that, 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 that wasn't thinking about himself. You know, the, 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 the person who, who could hear the shouts of the blind men beside the road in the middle of a crowd and went over, you know, the person who, who could see the kids being shielded from him and, 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 and everybody else thinking they weren't worthy. And, and Jesus said, come on, let the little child come to me, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The one who could feel the woman with the issue of blood in a mob and still pay attention to her whom everyone else was ignoring. Because if they hadn't ignored him, they would, she would have, they would have parted from her because they, she couldn't have been touched, and so they would have been backing off for her. They didn't even notice her. The woman at the well who, who, who wanted to be alone, but Jesus arranged a time to be with her. You see, it's not about us. We have this mind in you that was in Christ. And then it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about others. It says this in Philippians. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, that doesn't mean they're more important and you're less important. That means you pay attention to them more than you're paying attention to you. I know this goes counter to everything you've been taught in this culture. You got to come first. You got to take care of yourself. You won't be able to take care of anybody else. Put the mask on yourself before you apply. I, I get that. I get that. If you're on an airplane, but most of the time you're not. What do you do when you're not on an airplane? Pay attention to others. This is, it's, it's, it's really important to understand that, that I, I think about this, this um, as a history major. And, uh, and one of the people that always impressed me was uh, Queen uh, Helena, Wil, Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. She was born in 1880 came to the throne when her father died in 1990. She was 10 years old. And her mother was her regent, her, her teacher. And so she comes out onto the balcony the first time. She's 10 years old. Thousands of people are waving and shouting and waving their, their, their handkerchiefs. And she's astounded, 10 years old. And she turns to her mother and she says, do all these people belong to me? And then her mother taught her probably the most important lesson of leadership. No, honey, it's you who belong to all these people. You see, it's not about us. We're still here for them. That's why Jesus came for us, not for himself. And so therefore, it's important to understand um, uh, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know that's the price of love? Every day you're giving your life as a ransom. Every day a little bit is taken away from you because it's what they need and not what you need. 
That's what love is. Love costs because it's not about us. And we need to learn that even our circumstances are not about whether we're winning or losing at the time. Even our circumstances are not about us. It's not how are you going to get through what you need to get through. It's how will others benefit by your trying to get through in a faithful manner what you need to go through? How will others benefit? I've told some of you before, I was a, I'm an old football player. Uh, I love football. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a sport that didn't require coordination. I can't do coordination. I just, you just run into people, and I, and I, and I could do that. Um, but I was always as tiny as I am right now. Um, and, and I belonged to a, a high school football team. We were tiny. I played the line. <laughs> 145 pounds, soaking wet. I played the line. We were all my size. You know, we had one guy on the team who's like over 200 pounds, but he sat the bench because he just waddled. He couldn't run. And, and, so, and, so, and, so, and so we're out there, and we're all tiny, and we're all slow, and we're all nice, you know? And, 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 but, but we knew that we were facing these big teams, and so a, a game with Ashland was coming up, and all summer long, I had trained with my best friend, also a football player. He had a little uh, VW Beetle like I've got right now. Uh, and we'd take that little, little VW Beetle and we'd take it on country roads, which was about all there was in Shelby, Ohio. Uh, and we put it in neutral. And then we'd take turns pushing the car just so we could build up our legs because we knew we'd have to drive those guys <laughs> back. So it could build strong legs. We, we, you know, and so here, we're just pushing miles and miles of a car. You know, we take turns. One would take the steering wheel and, and, and the other push the car and, and so on and so forth. So here comes the action game. I'm up against Stan Arnhold. He's right across from me. He is Pastor Eddie's size. He's Pastor Eddie's size. First, I thought he was Pastor Trent's side, but the older I get, the bigger he gets. And so he's Pastor Eddie's size. 275 pounds, about 10% body fat. I mean, he's just muscle. And I'm just thinking, oh, I've been training all summer for this. My legs, I'm going to drive him back. This is so good. First play, first play, he knocks my head back. I'm just seeing stars, and I'm wondering where I am. Am I in a football game? Next play, I avoid the forearm that's coming up, and I get right in his men's section. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been training for. And my little legs are just pumping, pumping, pumping. He didn't move one inch. I discovered, A, he doesn't have wheels, and B, he's not in neutral. And I could just see him there. You know, he's just thinking, I'm feeling some slight pressure on my midriff here. I wonder what that is. And he just shucked me and went for the ball. So I'm thinking, okay, this ain't going to work. Now, here's the point. When you fail, pride says, try harder. When you fail, humility says, switch tactics. Because what you're trying, you, you can try as hard as you want. That's still not going to work. And so this is what I did. I'm not proud of this. This is before I became a Christian. So I went, to the, I went to the line, and I just started talking to him, antagonizing him. 
And I, and I started out with a general appraisal of his intelligence that wasn't complimentary. And you could see his face just flush. And then he just, and he just started pounding on me. I mean, he just started. He just wanted to beat me up. Next time I come to the line and I say something about his general appearance that's not complimentary. And he, next time I come and I said something about his mama. Oh, I tell you, he spent the rest of the night pounding me into the ground. They almost had to carry me off in a stretcher. But let me tell you something. He never touched the ball carrier. He never touched the ball carrier. He was so preoccupied with me. What you're going through isn't about you. All right? You're there for others. You're there to win the game. You know, I told you about how it was pitiful our, our, our uh, football team was. We all had that same mentality. We went undefeated. We went undefeated in the league, ninth, ranked ninth in the state. No stars. No, nobody I know from that team went on to play college ball. We just went and did our job. See, life is about just doing the job, not and, and for the sake of other people, not about what it costs you, not about where you're trying to get to, but about just doing your job. Now, let me talk to you about uh, the benefits of humility just for a second. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says that um, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, I'm going to just tell you just something personal, I've lived long enough to know this as a fact, that when you take yourself out of the center of life, that isn't a subtraction, that's a relief. You know, when you're not the center of everything anymore, that's a relief because it, it's, it's huge pressure to be the center of things. So the first thing you learn when you, when you uh, understand what is what is part of the benefit um, is that um, you, you count on grace. It says this in James. It says this in James. James says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know why that is? Because the, the humble know they need grace. And the proud don't think they do. So it's not about God, who God will give stuff to. It's who will ask for it who will realize they need it. The humble know, we know we need grace. There's a common um, dynamic in our culture of people who don't realize what they don't realize. They, they don't know what they don't know. They, they think they have competence they don't have because they're not competent enough to realize they're not competent. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Look it up. Dunning-Kruger effect. We are awash with people who are experts on everything, who want to tell you how to solve the world's problems, who want to tell you how to raise your kids, who want to tell you how to have a successful marriage, who want to tell you, I, I may have told you this before, I taught uh, uh, a marriage and family living uh, class at Oakland City College, um, and 30 students, first day I walked in, I said, 
how many of you pretty much know how to have a successful marriage? And, and, and practically, uh, maybe half the class raised their hands. Um, and then I said, how many of you are not married? The same people raised their hands. Because the people who were married realized how complex and difficult it was to have a successful marriage. Everybody who doesn't know think they're experts. So every time you hear somebody waxy and eloquent on how to solve the world's problems, think to yourself, Dunning-Kruger. You know, these people are so incompetent, they don't realize they're incompetent. They think they know what they don't know. The humble know just the opposite. The smartest people in the world understand how much they don't know. They know faith is simple. God, I give this to you. But they know life is complex. And so they're reluctant just to try to give simple answers. We live in a tweet society where we're supposed to take a stand in 165 words or whatever there is to it. If you have your opinion, if your opinion can be summed up in a tweet You have not done the intellectual work to have a full knowledge of the subject, all right? You don't, by the way, you don't have to take a side to take a stand. Would you you please remember that? I don't have to take a side to take a stand. Those people who deal with larger issues and deal with them helpfully, deal with them as complex matters that have to be um, one step at a time solved. I'm on the, uh, the Holocaust board um, here in the, the board of the Holocaust Museum. You can't get more Jewish than this organization. And people are not from the board, but, but people who I've known from my ministry are, are texting me or, or emailing me, where should we stand on what's happening in Israel right now? What should we say? Well, we just had a meeting this week, and our CEO, which is, who's a brilliant woman, of course Jewish, mother lives in Israel right now, family in the armed forces in Israel, and she said, I don't know how to address this because I know how complex this is. I'm going to get attacked from the right and to the left. Now, just let me cut you some slack here. Let me have you cut yourself some slack. If she doesn't know how to address it, please don't think you need to know how to address it. Of course, we want Israel to live in safety, the people in the country. We want people in every country to live in safety and security. Of course, we are against the taking of innocent lives. Of course, we are against organizations that would take innocent lives. Of course. But beyond that, this is a struggle that's been going on for a thousand years. And if you're trying to speak authoritatively, you're going to have to do a whole lot of studying. Do you realize that humility, I mean intelligent humility, requires some knowledge beyond what can be said in a tweet? A tweet, I've often said, is maybe a fragment of truth with blinders on. You know, you ever seen... You guys are too young to remember horses with blinders. With, 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 when I was growing up, we had milk was delivered to your house in bottles. <laughs> and we had a milk horse that pulled the cart. Honest to goodness. It was, it was like that until last year in Shelby, Ohio. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but tweets 
our opinions with blinders on. And so be careful of simple answers. The benefit of humility is that we learn from everybody. We le- every, everybody has something, is an expert or knowledgeable about something you don't know. Everyone, there's not one person that we can't learn something valuable from. God made it like that, by the way, putting this, distributing the truth in each other so that we would need each other. It's just that many people don't realize we need each other, that we need to learn from each other. Here's another benefit. When you realize, when, you're, when, you, when you are humble, I mean, truly, in every sense of that term, and you realize you only have a piece of the truth, and that's to help everybody else out, you get to cut yourself some slack for the stupid stuff you do. I do stupid stuff all the time. I mean, all the time. But I don't beat myself up because of it. Because I go, I'm me. That's what I do. I do stupid stuff because I'm me. Well, you ought to be able to say the same thing about yourself. Don't expect perfection out of yourself. Don't beat yourself up because you didn't get right the first time. Part of this whole trial and error thing is to learn along the way. So when you make a mistake, forgive yourself, apologize, and move on for crying out loud. Because if you don't, as I said, you're just doing the devil's work for him, and you are immobilizing yourself with guilt. And the, and the reason Jesus came to relieve and release us from all guilt is so that we would be free to love others and help others as they needed it. As long as you're blaming yourself and focusing on yourself and telling yourself you're awful, you're not going to be any good to anybody. And so therefore, we got to be free. we got to be free. There's a freedom class here, by the way. Sign up for that if you struggle with that. All right? Here's the other thing. When we move out of the center, I was referring to this earlier, we, we realize how little impact, in a good way, we are, how little responsibility or how little fault we have for other people living their lives like they do. What is there in us that when somebody else screws, I'm sorry, messes up, we want to say, oh, that must have been my fault. I should have done better. Do you know how many parents have adult children? By the way, that's an oxymoronic term. That's a, nobody had, there's, they're either adults or they're children. But when you get old, you always think of your kids as kids, you know? Um, every night I, I pray for our boys. One of them's here, uh, but, but, you know, after praying for Becky, you know, I, I pray for our boys. I always give a shout out to Isaac in heaven and, uh, and, and pray for our boys. Um, they're not boys, they're full-grown men. For Am I saying something bad? <laughs> Is this censorship? No, I know, I realized I just covered up the antenna, didn't I? Hey, listen, the last service, I couldn't get into my iPad. You know, and, 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 and I kept trying to get in my iPad, and it was unsuccessful, and it started talking to me. You're talking about terrible humiliation. Anyhow, um, so the point is that how many people blame themselves for what other people do stupid? Why, why are you doing that? 
It's not your, not your responsibility. They make their own decisions. You know, nine times out of ten, they were okay when they left the house. That you, you did your job, all right? Why, why do you blame yourself when other people, your friends, uh, other people that you care about, leaders, somehow that's my fault? What? That's a position of pride. That's, a, that's saying, I'm the center. If, if it's your fault, then you're at the center of the universe. But if it, but if it's if you allow people their own lives and just pray for them and try to understand and try to do what you can do, let me tell you another. I, I when I was when I was uh, in high school, the football coach got us um, jobs. A, a few of us uh, jobs on the Shelby um, road crew. Um, back then, <clears throat> the paving you didn't do it by machines. Uh, you, there were cracks in the pavement, and and uh, winter was hard on them, and so we'd have these little potholes and cracks, and and you had people with sh- just shovel with tar. An adult would have the the, the spray, tar spray thing, and then football players. The, the coach got his job so we could stay in shape, and it was really being a part of a road crew is hard work. I mean, you do you do a lot of shoveling and all that kind of stuff, um, and so. But the leader of the road crew was this old guy, this old, he, he was about to retire. His name was Archie, Archie Steele. I'll never forget. It's, just, it's a cool name, Archie Steele. And, uh, and, um, but he was just one of these old, good old boys. He, he wasn't, you know, popular or well-respected. He rode a bike to work. He didn't have a car. He couldn't afford it, you know. I think he lived with his mama. Um, if she was, but anyhow. Um, but he was one of the smartest people I've ever known. Honest to goodness. And so, you know how guys are, they and, and gals too, I'm sure. When we get together, we just talk about big, big problems, you know, and, and how we would solve things, you know, how we would have won the war, how we would have done this, all the case. So one day I'm I'm waxing eloquent, you know, and, and I've always been in over my head, and ignorance has never stopped me. And so uh, it's so anyhow, I'm waxing eloquent. And Archie does this. And I saw his hand go up, and his, I shut up. And Archie looked at me, and she said, you can't fix that. And then he pointed to a pothole where I was standing, and he said, but you can fix that. One of the greatest lessons I've ever had in my life. We spend a whole lot of time worrying about stuff we can't fix. I mean, if you spend any time at all on TV watching the news, you're anxious about stuff you can't fix. And by doing that, you're not noticing the stuff you can fix. There's just stuff right in front of you, you know? Fill the pothole right in front of you. That's your role. That's from Archie. He told you. Okay. So, so the point is that we need to get our center, ourselves out of the center of conversation. And, and, and by the way, that also includes every conversation we, we, we are in, trying to work ourselves into the middle of that conversation. I know people who, who only listen long enough for their turn to talk. And, and, and when they talk, they want to work in somehow their accomplishments you know, or how they would have handled it or what they would have done. 
that still leaves you at the center, and it doesn't really improve. You know, Scripture says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. Guess what just happened when you bragged on yourself to somebody else? Somebody went, not so much, not so much. Guess what happens when you say, you know, I don't know know anything about that. I'm just kind of stumbling along. People go, finally, somebody that I can respect, you know, because they, they admit how much they don't know. I respect that. They're not trying to make themselves out to be somebody they're not. I respect that. So anyhow, um, so let me, let me go into just some very practical ways to practice humility. This isn't, I was talking with uh, Pastor Justin. Um, we just had an expansion night meeting, and, uh, and he was just given the practical layout of the, what the church was doing with its funds and how much good we were doing in the community and the plans we had and so on and so forth. But he was just laying it out there, you know, just information. And I talked to him afterwards. He did a really great job, as he always does. And I said, that was, uh, you, that was really great. And he said, you know, I, I determined, the, God taught me. I used to come to these just to, in, to inspire people. But God said, no, these people are already inspired. That's why they're here. You just need to give them the information that will help them. The same thing for this sermon. I, this isn't supposed to be an inspirational sermon. This is just information that will help us walk in humility and have this mind that Christ also had. So anyhow, um, to realize, by the way, as David Brooks, David Brooks is one of my favorite, favorite authors, and he said the first prerequisite of actually seeing people who, for who they are is humility. Because if you don't, if you're always thinking about how do they fit with me or how is what, they, what they're going to say relevant to my life, you're not seeing them as people. You're seeing them as accessories to your own life. And so humility is genuine curiosity about people to the point, well, you, you will ask you won't feel like I got to work myself in now. You will ask follow-up questions because you're genuinely interested in them. You're genuinely interested in their perspective because you can learn how they see things. And if you can learn how they see things, it will do two things. It will increase your intellectual knowledge and it will help you empathize with them. And so here's a, here's a few ways you can do that. First of all, and I've referred to this before, but let me say it again. Listen without interruption or bringing it back to you. Boy, that's tough. I got to say, that's just tough. Because you just, you know, especially if you, you know, this church kind of has an amen culture, and I kind of like that. It's encouraging, you know. But it's tough to wait for somebody to get to the end of what they're saying, you know, especially if it's a Presbyterian. They don't know what to do with amens, you know? And so it's tough to wait for them to get it all out before you're hopping in and go, come on, let's go, let's do it. But it's, it's important for them to be able to say what they need to say without interruption or bringing it back to you. Second, as I said before, show curiosity 
about their lives and opinions. You know, people often have opinions that they haven't processed. Dunning-Kruger. But when you ask them questions, it helps them process. It helps them try to figure out why they think like they do. And when they do that, they become either more educated or willing to listen to other opinions. Here's the third one. Thank others often. Do you know two words that are the definition of humility? Thank you. They're the definition of humility. I'm married to a woman who thanks me for everything. I mean, it's just incredible, and she means it. She's not trying to build me up because I've got a bad ego. I've, I've, got, I've told you before, I've got way more confidence than I need to have. I, don't, I, have, I have no idea why, where I got this confidence. You know, I, I just, I, I said before, you know, if, if, if somebody doesn't like me, my first thought is they ought to be Baker acted because they're, they're crazy. What's not to like? In my last, in, in my, in my last uh, congregation, we had more than our, our fair share of PhDs, you know? And, and every once in a while, one of them would come up after the sermon that I disagree with the second point that you made. And I'm not proud of this, but my first thought was, well, you must be just too dumb to get it. Now, I would go back and I would and, and try to get the truth from what they were trying to say because you learn from everybody. But, but on the other hand, if Becky said, I disagree with the second point, I was ready to apologize to the congregation. I couldn't wait till next, year, next week, you know? So, so the point is this. Thank people. Thank them. Because what that does is it helps you get in a position to acknowledge you've received You've received. That, by the way, is how we get saved. We receive what we didn't deserve. And so that's a pretty good position to be in. And it encourages them in their giving. Third, admit when you're wrong and apologize and repent. It's just pretty simple. It's, it's, it may, pride says, let me explain why I did that. Humility says, I really goofed up. And I need, I used to do this with, with my kids sometimes. <laughs> but I say, you know, that was a dumb thing to do. I, I didn't mean to come off like I did. And I hope you don't take that as an example, you know, when you're raising your kids. Uh, but, but, but just apologize and then just determine you're not going to do it again. And if you do it again, apologize again and repent again. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. But don't be shocked at how terrible a person you are because it happens to everybody. For, and next, accept disappointment. Do you know disappointment comes because we think life ought to go our, our way? That's a position of pride. Disappointment comes because we think, we assume life ought to go our way. No, life doesn't go our way. Accept it. Accept it as, watch this, God's development for your maturity and their benefit. Every time you're disappointed, that's something good that God is leading you into for the sake of others. Next, last, next to the last one, choose your battles on the basis of life being better for everyone. 
Can I just say this to you? For people who disagree with you, quit, quit feeling like you've got to create a fight or create a battle or, or create an argument, you know? Only argue if it is a, you know, you have no alternative, you know, and you, you, need, to, you need to defend the truth. That, that isn't most, most things we run into. Because otherwise, you're just creating a division in the relationship that isn't worth the argument. All right, so be very careful. Say to yourself, if I uh, give a contrasting view here, how does this person benefit? How do other people benefit from me saying this? So only argue when it's helpful. And then do random acts of anonymous kindness. You've all heard the phrase random acts of kindness. But it really trains us in humility. The, the scripture says, don't let the le left hand know what the right hand is doing. Uh, so, so try doing anonymous kindness. And that will help you remember where you fit in this world and how important others are and, and, and um, counting others uh, as more um, value than you for, for your circumstances in your life. Okay, so that's it. It's just practical stuff. But let me go back to square one uh, to what's really the basis of all of this. If you're just a normal person, you'll be able to do none of this. But if you have Christ living in you, who gave his life for the sake of all others, who underwent humility and humiliation for the sake of those, some of whom would reject him, but some of whom, by claiming his gift, would be saved. Then if that character is in us, then that's how we're gonna live. So I want to give you an opportunity in case you've kind of lost Christ in the mix or you, or you never have accepted just as a gift, that wonderful gift of salvation and the erasure of our guilt, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. So every eye bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed. This is a good sermon for humility. I, I can't phrase things right. In every sight, in every, in every um, um, situation, Lord, we want to come to you. And we want to say those two words of humility. Thank you for paying the price for our salvation, for paying the price of our guilt, for paying the price of continuing with us, of living in our hearts, for those of us who have accepted you and for those who want your life in theirs, who want to be assured of their salvation if they die and assured of their continuing blessedness as they live. Let them pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, you paid for my sins too. And you give my salvation as a gift to me. I could never earn it or deserve it. It's a gift. And so I accept that. And I ask you to come and I ask you to live in my heart and make of my life whatever you want for the benefit 
not only of myself, but especially of those who are around me, of those who I can impact, of those who I can serve. And we pray that you will do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.